Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Hello and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I will be your host today for the first in a series of episodes that will unpack the latest iteration of Bottomline's Payments Barometer. Since 2016, we've been taking the pulse of key finance leaders in the UK. And this year, we've added the US for the first time, gathering 800 responses per country. The result is a fascinating snapshot of the current state of business payments in both countries, as well as a look into the issues that will define the next few years. In the report and in coming episodes of the podcast, you will gain insights into managing cash flow, fighting fraud, and adopting new payment formats. But for now, we're going to focus on the key findings of the report as business payments meet the forces of change. In the spirit of the report, our expert commentators come from both sides of the pond. From Bottom Line's London office, we welcome our product leader, Colin Swain. Colin has been leading strategy, product design, and operations teams in a range of different companies, from tier one banks and global business payments businesses to through to startups and retailers for more than 15 years. Welcome, Colin. Thanks, John. Great to be here. And from our U.S. headquarters in the great state of New Hampshire, please welcome Chief Product and Innovation Officer Kurt Raffi. Kurt leads a global product and engineering team across the U.S., India, and Europe focused on digital banking solutions. That team is focused on SaaS product for portfolio growth, go-to-market strategies, and product monetization. Welcome, Kurt. John, thanks very much. Um, I appreciate you allowing the U.S. finally to be a part of this, uh, yeah. not just those cool people from the U.K. I know. It's it's about time, and we're going to take advantage <laughs> There you go. We're going to take advantage of it. We're going to declare our independence again. Um, so, you know, the, the report leads off with drivers of change. Um, there's a list of 12. Um and, it, you know, if, if you read it, it ranges from the, the aftermath of COVID to geopolitical uncertainties. And then there's more traditional payments and financial services issues in there. I want to take the section from the report, that section from a business payments perspective strictly. So, Kurt, I want to start with you. One of the drivers um, in the U.S. side of the drivers of the change so far um, is payments modernization. Now, it covers everything from real-time payments to ISO 2022 to open banking. But when you think about payments modernization, how do you put that in the context of the general economy? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. There's a lot going on in the economy right now, um, and we've gone through a lot. So just let's put some simple things together and say we've just gone through a pandemic, which doesn't happen that office, often, rather, um, and that drives a, and has driven a whole lot of change to do things uh, digitally. Um, so that's playing out. And that's if you, if you look at, at some of the payments uh, leading firms out there, that just looking at the pandemic 3x, 5x, 10x increase in digital payments use and, and the desire to, to sort of live in an e-commerce world. So that's transforming things. That's that's a big one. The other big change is speed. Everything is moving faster. I want to make my payments to you, to Colin, to others faster. Um, so that's a kind of a major macro change that that's going on. And the third that is 
it's a worldwide change. I don't know if it's a business or macro change is, and it's a, it's an old one, John, is the consumerization of the enterprise. What we're seeing move into the corporate world of payments has been brewing in the consumer world for a while. And all of that is set at a backdrop of the economy rapidly changing with higher interest rates and everything else. So we're set for some interesting days uh, over the next six, 12, 24 months, but there's a whole lot of things that are uh, fostering change. Yeah, interesting. You know, at, let's look at the list of drivers for the UK. They're they're a little bit different. Um, Colin, when you look at those drivers, um, how do you interpret payment modernization? And do you think we land on that for the UK drivers of change? Yeah, I think we do, John. Um, I think if you look at the drivers in the UK, so as well as COVID, uh, very focused around better access for cloud and pay-as-you-go services, obviously uh, continue to look at mobile payments technology and improvements around security and prevention of fraud. Now, I think if you overlay payment modernization for the last decade to that, particularly in the UK, whether it's been a combination of regulatory changes and new entrants and new tech, all of those things have really focused on allowing far more competition and choice. Now, I think, as Kurt said, a lot of that started with consumers, but it's very much now looking at corporates. So whether that's open, open to new schemes, uh, allowing the instant payments and improving fraud prevention as well. So if you look at those corporate key drivers, there's real options and choice now for those corporates in terms of the tools and the providers they use to enhance and protect their business. So, um, you know, whether it's real-time payment access, whether it's how they want to uh, receive uh, money from consumers through mobile payments, whether it's cash management and fraud tools, uh, such as confirmation of payee. Corporates now have really a marketplace of tools to access and to help them run their business, which you know, four, three, five years ago simply didn't exist. Yeah, interesting. You know, and, and Kurt, you mentioned the consumerization um, of, of business payments. I'm wondering um, if you think it's this all comes under the heading of the need for speed. Um, is is that a is that an accurate way to describe all the new payment initiatives in the U.S.? And what issues do you think companies are going to face as they try to match the expectations of their clients? Yeah, I, I think the need for speed uh, is a great statement, um, but it also plays on something else, the need for cash. Uh, so oftentimes what you see, and and Colin called out um, kind of the the corporates and and their desire um, to, to get in payments. When we talk about corporates and consumers and real-time payments or faster payments, oftentimes it's into a corporate. Uh, a corporate is receiving payment from a consumer. It's easy that way. Um, the, ultimately, that need for speed on the corporate is they know their cash position much more quickly and their cash position is enhanced much more quickly. So the, the need for speed is driven by the need for cash um, and cash flow uh, enhancement uh, oftentimes. So, and I, I think that is, is seen most in the corporate segment. If you look down maybe into the small business segment, 
there may be a hesitancy. Um, ultimately, it will be convenient. So, I, convenient. So, I think that will go away. But there may be a hesitancy to pay you, John, as my supplier, or to call it as my supplier, because I like to sit on my cash a little bit longer, and I want to slow down my cash flow. So, oftentimes, the beauty of faster payments and the need for speed is to get money into that corporate, um, and and maybe it's for. We've certainly seen it in the United States uh, in wireless and utilities, where those are big use cases for uh, faster payments. Um, but yeah, I, I think the need for speed is really the need for cash uh, that comes together. Well said. Well said. So, Colin, in, in the UK, we call them instant payments, right? Um, does that fit into the priority slot that that, that Kurt just? Uh, described here? Do, do non-financial um, service companies need to stay current with that kind of innovation? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Kurt nailed it when he said the need for speed is very much about getting cash into the business. Uh, and, you know, not necessarily as much in terms of getting cash out of the business and, and paying suppliers as well. Um, and certainly when you look at the, the world of B2B trade and B2B payments, obviously that's, that's more of a challenge. Um, I think if you look at instant payments, you really have to then look at the use case for it as well. And I think as a, a market, we can do a far better job of this. So um, the real benefits come when you focus in on uh, where it is absolutely crit critical to have immediate movement of funds. And, you know, some of the use cases could be things like e-commerce and recurring payments where, um, whereas Kurt described, you know, the need to get the money in before that goods or service is uh, sold to the consumer is critical. Or you could look at things like on-demand payroll and the gig economy, which continues to grow, as well as improving payment flow. I mean, I remember a time... Um, you know, three, four years ago where prepaid cards were huge, particularly in the payroll business, because there wasn't the ability for instant payments in any other way. So corporates can really benefit from um, from instant payments to help uh, their employees and their staff and get them their pay uh, sooner. So I think it's really... Go on, sorry. No, I, I was going to say, do you think that... Uh non-banks, non-financial services companies are prepared for instant payments and other new initiatives that are coming down the line? I think um, I think it's a really good question. I think, um, I think they're ready for the ones where they can see a real benefit for them. And I think that's the market's um, job to actually help them, to drive education, to drive understanding as well, John. I think one of the, if you look at the report, uh, and particularly for the UK, there was a figure which absolutely astounded me. And it was when you when you look at adoption of real-time payments in the UK, around 50% of corporates have adopted, adopted real-time payments. Of the other 50%, uh, 32, about a third of them, said they didn't really have a need for real-time payments. And a, around another 30% said they didn't want to adopt real-time payments because they wanted to keep their cash for longer. Now, if you think about that statement, that's fundamentally saying the market hasn't done a great job in some ways of explaining what instant payments is. 
because it actually aids cash flow and aids the ability to keep your cash for longer. So, So I think actually when you talk about readiness with corporates, I think they'll focus very much on their business and what's important in their business. Our job is to educate and drive the benefits of how some of these new payment initiatives can uh, can support them. Good points. Excellent points. So, Kurt, let's move into your strike zone here. We don't have as many new initiatives over here. I mean, the, the UK is completely redoing their entire infrastructure. They're awesome. Uh, let's just face it. Yes, they are way yeah. better than we are. No. <laughs> but we do have... We do have the Fed coming online with their own flavor of real-time payments. We mm-hmm. do have a move toward SaaS-based platforms, which I know is, is, your, uh, is your wheelhouse. So if you're running a midsize or a big corporation these days, how do you tell them to approach the need to innovate? Yeah, I, I think it goes back, John, to what Colin said are the use cases. Um, why, why would they want to innovate? Why do they want to make a move? Um, and if they can see a benefit to receiving um, cash faster into their business, enhancing their cash flow, there's there's a reason for, for making that move. If it's just because you can send a payment out faster, that's not a reason. Um, that That's a threat, actually. And I, I think we've... It's funny. I heard a friend of mine has a, a fintech startup in the United States that's that's really about invoicing and helping small businesses invoice and get get paid. And he sort of turned the uh, the argument um, upside down. Whereas every bank and payment company was about send your payments with new tools, and he was like, no, 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 receive payment, get cash into your small business or your mid-sized business much more effectively. Um, and that's where I think the argument um, begins to, to make more sense for a business owner. Um, but once again, I think there, there's stratification of the marketplace, just like in the UK and the US as well, where small businesses have different motivations perhaps than enterprises do. And, and when you look at RTP, real-time payments, and what's coming with FedNow and all of those things, we got to play there because at least certainly in my business, we're serving the enterprise down to uh, to the, the SMB. So it's it's imperative. The federal government knows that, we know that. So all of those innovations are healthy and important, but you also got to make sure it's um, a, an innovation that is valid to, to the end user and the use case. Um, I think the other lens on that is we are seeing things happen in the consumer space. I, I, I tend to be a macro market watcher and I love to see how products are influenced by behaviors. Um, we have a lot more check use in the United States than uh, than exists in Europe um, and perhaps in the UK. They have James Bond. We have old checks. Tell me the answer to that one. I don't understand. But anyway, um, they had they have a queen too. Don't they? Right, exactly, and just had a jubilee on top of that. Um, but I, I think when you when you talk to my kids and they'll go, "What's a check? Huh? What?" Why? Um, the, the, the use cases of instant payments are very important to them. And they are now going to be and are working at enterprises. So when my daughter is splitting the bill with Zelle, with her friends um, out at some restaurant that they're at um, or Venmo, or whatever else, they're doing instant settlement. They need it because they, they, they don't necessarily trust the counterparty, their friend uh, at the dinner table. So. They are now moving in and expecting the, those same type of uh, usabilities uh, in products and functionalities to exist. 
and then to see very, very old ACH wire or other payment mechanisms seems anachronistic, old school to them. So that, that is really changing. And that's, I think, also forcing um, evolution uh, from an innovat- innovation perspective, as you see more um, millennials and Gen Zs in the enterprise space and as business owners. So, Kurt, let's switch. Let's stay with you. Let's switch gears a little bit, though. Let's talk about cash flow, which we have hit on. Both of us, both of you guys, have hit on. Um, but let let's go right after it because neither country's respondents were very confident in their ability to forecast cash flow. Is this consistent with what you see in the marketplace, and how do we fix it? Huge, yeah. I, that that is that is actually true up and down the um, the the spectrum of business size. Um, you've got small businesses and micro businesses that ride cash flow. If I don't get that payment in, I may not be able to pay my employee Colin tomorrow. So that's really important. Uh, at the enterprise level, if I don't, if I've got a large FP&A staff and and I'm a CFO of of a large corporation, I need to know my cash position maybe across many, many bank accounts um, as well. So it's the same issue, just with a larger lens at the enterprise versus the SMB level. And what we're seeing now uh, is kind of exciting. I know I know, FinTech is going through a lot of transformation right now, um, but we're seeing a lot of companies coming in that are applying machine learning and AI, and, and uh, we're even partnering with, with a couple of really cool ones right now that will say, okay, we're going to look at perhaps the GL connection uh, or something else and, or your bank account. And we'll look at all the ins and outs um, into your business. And, and we'll begin to understand those. Um, I'm even on the board of a bank uh, in the United States that's now doing that for their retail customers that we call it future look to say, by the way, Colin, you're going to be out of money in two weeks. Um, so maybe kind of cut back on your spending a little bit. That exact same model is being applied to all of these new fintech tools, and that's just cash flow positioning, um, which is really important. So I think you're going to see many, many more of those, and there's a whole bunch of really interesting ones coming out now. And I will also add on that presents other interesting opportunities, because if, if I'm a banker or I'm a business owner or I'm an owner of the the cash flow analysis SaaS platform. And I know, John, that you're going to be out of cash flow when you when it comes time to make payroll for your 100 employee staff in another 20 days. Maybe it's time you got a loan, a bridge loan to cover that. So there'll be interesting contextual lending and contextual product opportunities that come out of that cash flow analysis that I think are also really cool. So it's not there's definitely innovation going in cash flow analysis and the tools now and the big data uh, analytics can can make those products much smarter. But there's also interesting add-ons to that, um, that that come out of that with other lending style products. Well said. So, Colin, I, I didn't think we'd have to defend your personal liquidity on this podcast, <laughs> but apparently we do. You okay think, there? Yeah, Kurt did give me a fair warning on this, so I was, <laughs> I was expecting it. I, I, I can't really... Tr- I know when we talked before that you were, you know, this comes back to basics for you. Cash yeah, flow, it does. Uh, whether management or forecasting. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, I think... Um, so I think, first of all, the whole point of cash positioning, cash flow forecasting, I completely agree with Kurt. I, I think this is going to be one of the next 
if it isn't already one of the next big things in terms of fintech and fintech investment as well. Um, I haven't spoke to a lot of CFOs, both in the US and UK, uh, whilst being at bottom line. I've heard stories of major uh, enterprises and their CFOs who couldn't do cash flow forecasting, actually couldn't tell their own board how much cash was in the business. So it gives you some sense of where some corporates, as Kurt said, big, small, all those in between, where they are in terms of managing their cash. Um, as you said in the survey, over half corporates um, don't have accurate uh, cash flow forecasts today. 25% of them still use Excel as well as a vehicle to do that. And I think if you look over the last two and a half years, whether it's in the, the macroeconomic state we are right now or through COVID, the need for short and long-term cash flow and what if scenarios and stress testing around that couldn't be more important. Um, and the reason it's important as well, it's not about saying, oh, great, you're going to have X or Y cash position in two to three months time. That's not the point of it. The point of it is it allows CFOs to proactively put in place plans, tactics to track and make changes before they happen. The other thing we hear a lot from CFOs is that um, they're very reactive. They're looking at the next week or the next few weeks apart from those quarterly uh, reports and processes they have. They can't be more strategic and more proactive with their board. And the part of the reason for that is they don't have the information and tools at hand to do that. So I think this is it's going to be massive. I, I truly believe the combination of actually putting the data together to get cash position and then, as Kurt said, actually building out the models, the scenarios, the stress tests to support finance leaders, it's going to be huge. Yep. So here's the last question. I'm going to ask both of you to look into your respective crystal balls on either side of the pond here. Um, part of the report asks respondents to look out over the next three years. What will the drivers of change be over the next three years? Fraud's at the top of the list. We're going to cover that on our next podcast. Um, but are there any issues that should be more important that are missing? And Colin, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, sure. So, um, if you look at the report, it, I think third on the list is uh, is driving the efficiency about around paying suppliers, um, which is absolutely critical. I think just following on, John, from what we were just talking about, and, and given where we are with the economy, having tools and processes that go drive the ability for corporates to get cash into the business will be one of the most important things for the next three years. Uh, so whether that is actually uh, initiatives, initiatives like request to pay, whether it's a combination of that and instant payments, I think there's a huge number of tools that corporates will be able to use. But I see that as becoming uh, far, far more uh, important for the business as a whole, but also the finance teams and CFO. Interesting. So, Kurt, you're going to have the last word here. I, you know, new technology came up big on uh, on influencers for the future, but CBDCs came up pretty high too. And I know you've done a lot of work on that. Um, your reaction to how high the respondents in the U.S. put 
um, the importance of CBDCs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it, CBDCs will be interesting. Um, and, and by the way, if you're new to CBDCs, it's central bank digital currencies. Um, ultimately, I think what those enable is faster and easier settlement of, of payment. Um, so whether that's cross-border, um, you will see in the future. And I'm going to put on my, my crystal. You, you said it was a crystal ball, so I'll put on my... Uh, what would I put on? I, I'm my fortune teller's hat or something like that. Um, so, one of those big Uncle Sam hats, maybe. Yeah, okay, whatever. What I see um, as uh, as really kind of being needed uh, over the coming months is we're entering a very unsure time in the, in the economy. So um, the ability to settle payments fast is is imperative. Oftentimes, with unsettled macro times also come an opportunity for governments to make changes. Uh, so could the U.S. government, with the collapse of, of some crypto empires, begin to say, OK, it's time to do it right. Here's our CBDC. We're going to support uh, unique cross-border instant settlements um, with uh, FedNow and beyond. Yes, I, I think all of that's uh, uh, potentially in the crystal ball. Um, in addition to that, um, everything Colin said, you've got people who are going to need to, their, their businesses um, and with inflation and perhaps uh, loan payments and debt service, they're going to need to make sure their cash flow is in a good position. So faster payments around that will be demanded by everyone. I think you've got demographic changes where every uh, young person starting a business, running a business, as I said earlier, will demand better technology, not creaky old sloshy payment systems that offered five days of settlement. Um, heck, I mean, ACH is pretty old. Uh, what did, you, did you call it slush settlements the other day? I, I did. <laughs> slush settlements. I mean, it, and, and it's funny, people now are like, oh, we can get your payroll in two days earlier because uh, they got a five day window to, to settle that that ACH in the United States. It, it is huge. It is huge. Humorous, but but I think that will also change. And then let's even prognosticate a little further. Um, if if things get really unsettled from an economic perspective over the next year or so, um, debt service coverage ratios on loans and loan covenants will suddenly become things that we have to deal with. Remember that we, we've lived through a number of years of very easy money. That's gone. So what's mm. happening now? I'm going to have to, as a CFO, make sure I know my cash position instantaneously at any one time. So I think that will be a huge motiva motivating factor. Um, and then my, my, my loan covenants, I, I could have my loans called if my debt service coverage ratios or my cash flow is not where it needs to be. So all of those things portend change. Um, and I think us supporting both cross-border, digital uh, money movement, whatever we want to call it, uh, and, and a faster future um, that, that I think is on top of us right now. So buckle your seatbelts. It's going to get interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. So, hey, that's a wrap. Um, this episode of the Payments Podcast covered the key findings from our business payments barometer to 2022. You can find a full copy of the report at bottomline.com. Um, Kurt. Rafi, I would like to thank you very much. Very insightful. Um, and Colin, I want to thank you very much for uh, for representing the UK. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Of course. I will, uh, I'm will. i just going to pop down and see the Queen now. So I'll send her your regards. I'm going to watch every James Bond movie I possibly can to try to practice my accent to be as suave as Colin. All right. Before we start an international incident, uh, <laughs> we're, 
I'm going to encourage everybody to tune in uh, next time when we talk about the findings on fraud. And gentlemen, once again, thank you. And uh, see you next time on the Payments Podcast. Cheers. Thanks. Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.